this is really weird, like, um, I don't know what happened, but all my, like, audio clips from previous episodes, they've disappeared on me. I, I don't know where they are now, so, uh, I'll find them, don't worry, and by the time you listen to this episode, you will have no idea that I am going in this episode, I'm gonna call it naked. Um, I'm not actually naked, I'm, I'm fully clothed. Uh, but I don't have any, like, cues or anything to work with right now. Um, so I didn't have the opening kind of theme song to kind of, like, pump me up and, like, get me in the, in the podcasting zone. So, uh, if things are weird today, which would be, uh, a new instance, that's for sure. Uh, it, that's why, you know, I didn't get my usual lead-in that I get with uh, the expertly composed PH5 theme song. So let's see how it it changes things for me over here. Um, hi! It's Phil here again with yet another episode of PH5. Everyone's favorite uh, Moss Park-based music roundup podcast. Uh, it's episode two of season two. Um, let me translate that for you. It's February, or sorry, it was February. February will be the topic of discussion on this episode. You know, just kind of like following a linear pattern here, seeing as how last episode we talked about January. It seems, it seems like the logical move to, uh, now talk about February. So... That's what we're going to be doing today. You all knew this already, and I don't know why I'm explaining it to you again, but, uh, you know, just like the sound of my own voice, I guess. Um, how you guys doing? You guys doing good? February sucks, eh? You know? It's got to be the worst month. Uh, I, I, I stand by that. It's probably the only thing I really truly believe in, in the world, actually, is that February is the worst month. It's cold. It's really cold here in uh, the Tea Dizzle. That's Toronto, for all of you uh, uninformed. It's been cold, but hey, it's it's March now, which uh, brings with it the um, kind of false hopes of spring. You know, so March is really all about. It's about like getting excited that it's going to warm up, and then just being disappointed when it doesn't. But if you expect to be disappointed, you'll only ever be right or pleasantly surprised. So, uh, that's the motto to live by, and that's what we live by here at PH5. I, uh, I got an espresso machine. It's pretty sick. I used to work for them, um, and I just needed, needed it back in my life, you know? Kind of like that abusive ex. Just need it back. Addiction, etc. Anyway, I'm sipping here on an oat milk latte that I've brewed in the comfort of my own home. I'm feeling fantastic, ready to run down February's albums. You guys ready? Uh, if not, you know, maybe pause the episode and do whatever it takes to get ready because I'm moving on. So, here we go. Episode 2, Season 2 of PH5, February. This is Phil May. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Let's get to it. Oh, uh, <laughs> I should mention this. Um, we have a special guest today. 
Yes, we have been joined once again by my good friend Matthew Bancudi. He, if you remember, if you're a big PH5 head, you'll know that Matt was my first guest on an episode uh, last year, um, March or April or whatever. We talked about the Youth Code album, and this time around we're talking about the new Animal Collective album. It's actually kind of funny because Matt is kind of like my go-to industrial music friend, and I actually talk about an industrial album on this podcast, but uh, that's not what I talk about with him weird but he just always manages to uh you know conjure up uh discussions on industrial music no matter where he goes so uh shouts out to him we had a great little chat which you will hear shortly but before we get to that let's start her off the classic ways but counting down talking about the number five four and three records of february Okay, after that extremely long, unnecessary introduction, let's get to it. Thanks once again. Okay, coming in at number five, we have the long-awaited record by America's favorite Asian-American indie queen, that's right. I'm talking about the latest record from Sasami, uh, Squeeze. Um, that was like a little bit of um, like confusion tactics, you know? You thought I was going to be talking about Mitski. Nah, I'm not talking about Mitski. And uh, as much as I'd like to spend the entire discussion of Sasami's record talking about Mitski and why I think her record is boring as hell, I'm not going to do that. So... Sasami, Squeeze, here we go. This is, I believe, her sophomore record. And apparently it was really influenced by this one doom metal show that she went to. Uh, she had already made, you know, a kind of indie pop that kind of brought in a lot of rock music's influences into it. But this is the record where she really kind of goes down the rabbit hole of heavy music and uh, incorporates a lot of those different kind of genre signifiers into her sound. Uh, she kind of gave us a taste of this when she uploaded a cover of uh, Toxicity by System of a Down uh, a few months ago. And this record kind of takes a lot of cues from that. Uh, her cover of that song was not exactly faithful. It was, uh, it was kind of a more hushed version. And I would kind of generally describe this album as kind of more a hushed version of new metal and a hushed version of kind of heavier stuff that you would hear on rock radio. So she incorporates a lot of kind of like early 2000s, late 90s, new metal-esque kind of sounds. She has like a full-on backing band that she brought into the studio to write and record with. So it's all very faithful to those sounds, but instead of just going completely, you know, guy from Disturbed, um, she maintains her kind of pop sensibilities and her songwriting prowess, and that's always the focus of all the songs on the record. Uh, It's kind of all over the place, stylistically. You've got your kind of heavier songs, like the first song, Skin a Rat. Then you move into The Greatest, which is kind of more like a straightforward indie song. Um few kind of electronic tracks on here 
even almost like a Shania Twain. Not really, no, sorry. Not Shania Twain. What's her name? I'm gonna soak up the- Sheryl Crow! Yeah. Almost like some Sheryl Crow-esque songs on here. And so it's a whole bunch of really disparate sounds that kind of all unify under her, you know, very distinctive voice and um, songwriting touch. And it's, it's really effective and is just yet another example, I think, of um, women in indie and women in pop kind of embracing heavier sounds and, and folding in those sounds into their music to create new textures and kind of new ambiences that, you know, not too many people have gone down the path of. So, power to you. Um, I am always a huge fan of when an artist decides to get heavier rather than kind of lighten it up. So, shouts out to you, Sasami, with Squeeze. Great record. So that's coming in at number five on the list. And the ridiculous made-up genre of the day. Yes, I am going to continue those for this particular podcast. Is Radio Metal Pop. I actually spent like maybe 30 seconds to come up with some of these beforehand too so that should uh, alleviate a lot of the awkward pauses as i scramble internally to uh come up with something that i foolishly self-imposed upon myself but <laughs> that's what podcasting is all about i guess right sasami squeeze number five february 2022 Mmm. Damn, I love oat milk. Um, so, coming in at number four, we have Black Country, New Road, with Ants from Up There. So, I have a bit of an interesting relationship with this record. Um, one of those albums that came out and I was immediately like, oh shit, like, this is epic. This is some album of the year worthy stuff. And then after like five days or so, I, I just kind of lost interest in it completely. And haven't really gone back to it since. So, I mean, I think it's objectively amazing. And, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed it for that stretch of a few days, which is why I'm going to give it the inclusion here. But, I don't know, not, not a whole lot of lasting power, unfortunately. So... Black Country New Road, I, I talked about them last year with their debut record for the first time. I think it was like a, I think it was like an honorable mention or something. Um, that record, their debut, was more of a collection of songs that uh, they, they had already had kind of in their pocket and performed live for a few years before finally going in the studio and recording. And there was a lot of hype around them, especially in Europe. And the record was, was, it was pretty good. It was cool, you know? It was honorable mention worthy, you know? We'll say that. But uh, this is definitely where they completely opened up their sound and um, kind of stepped into the spotlight that the world has kind of decided to shine on them. And interestingly enough, this is probably the only time we will ever hear this particular iteration of Black Country New Road because a few days before the album dropped, uh, the lead singer 
left the band. And it, it creates this really interesting experience when you're listening to it because knowing that that happened, you're listening and you're kind of searching for clues, you know? You're like, did he leave us like a, a trail of breadcrumbs here that we can kind of figure out why he left the band? Or like, is there any hint of it happening in any of these songs or anything like that? And there both is and there isn't. Uh, the lyrics are both hyper-specific, yet kind of obfuscated. Um, you kind of know what he's talking about, but you're never really quite sure what he's talking about. And this kind of mix between really personal detail and kind of abstract thought uh, means you can kind of find yourself really easily in these lyrics, uh, or you can kind of take them as a character study of this guy who's obviously a complete mess and terrible at relationships. Um, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure in regards to how you want to connect with the record. So apparently, you know, in the, in the lead-up, the writing process, recording process for all this, uh, the, uh, the main guy got really into Arcade Fire. And I hear that a lot here. This, in many times, kind of sounds like a, you know, British-European version of Arcade Fire. Uh, just a lot weirder, and, well, I mean, I, I said British-European, so you're gonna assume it's weirder. Like, like, you know, shouts out to Arcade Fire, but, like, you guys, it's pretty boring, you know? Like, it's, like, this Canadian band with like eight people in it and like one of them plays strings. It's like, you know, we get it, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, I mean, that arcade fire hunting me down and slaughtering me for my evisceration there. Anyway, my point being, um, the kind of reach for the sky's loftiness that Arcade Fire is constantly striving for and hoping to achieve with their music is really present here. Um, the biggest songs that they possibly can, and the whole album kind of plays out like a like a slow build towards the absolutely epic ending of uh, Basketball Shoes. And it's cool. It's so ambitious that it's just almost ridiculous when you listen to it. But it, they honestly, like, it... They pull it off. Um, I, I guess my issue is I just think it kind of sounds a little bit silly now. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like I, I think it's a great record and I think it's really well done. I appreciate what they put into this record. Um, but I'm just having some difficult time going back to it because... It's just like, it's just kind of ridiculous at times, and it's just a bit too much for me. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's this weird, like, I really like it, and it's really good, but I also don't really like it. So, I don't know. You know, what do you do with that as a guy trying to make a podcast about music, you know? What, what, what do I even say? I love it, and I don't like it. So... I don't know. Listen to it. You maybe you can let me know what you think. But it's a uh, a brave record. Again, we'll never hear this version of this band ever again uh, because the the singer's gone. 
Um, they plan on continuing. Should be interesting to see how that goes. But, yeah. You know, it's a great snapshot of an act in turmoil. And you can kind of hear it in the music, you know? Uh, everything just kind of feels constantly on the verge of completely falling apart. And, you know, by large means because of the vocal affectations of the vocalist. And it makes sense. I mean, clearly he was going through it to the point where he couldn't even stay in the band for um, arguably one of the most anticipated European records in years to drop. He had to leave before that even happened. So, very interesting case study here. Not a lot of records ever have kind of had these unique circumstances upon their release. And the music's pretty good too. So, coming in at number four, we have Black Country New Road with Ants From Up There. And the ridiculous made-up genre of the day. <laughs> I'm going to call it pre-rock post-indie. Cool? Cool. Alrighty, moving right along. So... Coming in at number three, here in February 2022, we have Author and Punisher with Crueler. Um, definitely, probably one of the better records I've heard about a baked good in some time. Not ever, but sometime. Um, I don't even know if that's a joke, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I think it's like a German word. It might actually mean crueler. Like it, the album might be about like a fucking donut. I don't know. Um, regardless of whether or not it's about a donut, it is a fantastic record. So Author and Punisher makes, you know, pretty heavy industrial type music. He's been making it for quite some time now. And he usually is just like straight up heavy, like screaming, industrial pounding, etc., etc. You get the idea. But on this record, he's incorporated a almost like art rock style into the music. And the result is almost like, like a mix of Deftones and Strapping Young Lad. If you kind of slowed the tempo down of both those bands by like half speed. It's a, it's a really cool, unique record that is very heavy, yet also very hooky. Um, the guy's a fantastic singer, despite the fact that he is almost really never sang on any of his records before. And it makes the songs really stand out and, and kind of separate themselves from, you know, the kind of monotony of a lot of other heavy industrial type music. Like the first song itself is, is this uh, almost eight minute long song called Drone Carrying Dread. And a great title for the song because um, the song and the whole album really kind of have this lingering feeling of unease in, in how it's produced and in the mix and everything like that so you're almost always kind of anticipating some heavy drop or some sort of menacing musical motif to appear and I think the power in the record is that it doesn't appear almost as often as it does so it just kind of, uh, you know, leaves you guessing a lot. Like, what's this song going to be? Is this going to be a, you know, furious, 
implosion of a song, or or is this going to be a like I don't know, like a, a soft, almost poppy ode to his desire to be a woman, which is a actual song on the record. So there's a there's a lot going on in this, and you kind of get invited into this murky, like dystopian, futuristic world. Again, very similar to the sounds created in um, Strapping Young Lad's absolutely incredible record, City, from 1997. Um, that's probably the closest analog that I can think when it comes to this album, because it has that same focus on songcraft and, and melody as much as it does on punishing the listener with brute force and just sheer heaviness. Uh, but it, the two kind of opposing sides of the melody and the dissonance always working together to, uh, you know, create a balance. And maybe that's what the author and Punisher is. You know, the author is like, uh, you know, like the, the, the melody and the Punisher is like the dissonance. Maybe. That could be it. Maybe I just figured out what the guy's name means. Um... He'll reach out to me and let me know how accurate that was, I'm sure. But anyway, incredibly strong. One of the better, heavier records that I've heard so far this year. You know, I'm always looking out for those. And again, just a a genre that I don't even really necessarily gravitate towards that well. Um, ends up being one of my favorite records of the year so far. So, shouts out to him. Coming in at number three, we've got Author and Punisher with Crueler. And the ridiculous made-up genre of the day, we are going to go with Shoegaze Industrial, because why not? Okay, so now uh, I'm going to make a completely natural, organic, seamless transition into my chat with the beloved Bankuti about Animal Collective's latest record, Time Skiffs. So, let's go to that right now. Well, welcome back to PH5, my good friend, Matthew Bancuti, the first ever PH5 guest to appear twice. Wow, that's quite the honor. How do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. <laughs> pretty good you know ph5 is uh one of two podcasts i'm subscribed to so you know nice nice i've got 50 percent of the market share that's awesome that's it it's you and everyday buddhism which i i'm not a buddhist but it makes me feel calmer to listen to a lot of work oh nice 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 and then you have just uh, the belligerent chaos of ph5 to kind of balance that out that's it of course so the reason i've got you on here today is because um We'd love to discuss the latest Animal Collective album. Uh, this is a band that I think is uh, pretty important to both of us, and I feel like we both have some opinions on it, so let's dive into this bad boy. Latest Animal Collective album, Time Skiffs. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, you know a skiff is a boat? Because I didn't know that until like having listened to the album for like a month. What did you think it was? I thought it was a word they made up. 
Oh, well, you know, that, that like, seems about right. Kind of, kind of like skips. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, time's fucked, you know? But no, <laughs> it is. So it's a boat. They're driving on time boats, I guess. Aren't we all? So, had to throw that in there, I guess. Um, <laughs> of course. Uh, on a whole, the album, uh, obviously, we talk about a return to form, right? Because Centipede Hurts, we agree, Daring Mast, not best. There are some, like, great moments on it. Obviously, Moonshock is, like, a ribbing opener. Yeah, man. But, you know, um, there's, like, it's kind of like an angry record. And I don't know if that's because they were trying to, like, you know, like, shoo away some of the mainstream success. Or if because, like, they were in an angry place. I know, you know, I don't want to... You don't want to dredge up the past. I guess in a way they were in their lives, but I do know that that AV at least was going through a divorce. Or had recently gone through a divorce. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the other ones like parents were like dying or something. So. Yeah, and it's like really cluttered, and like there's cool ideas in there, but some of those cool ideas go on for like way too long, and there's like no negative space. So I don't yeah. To, like for things to like breathe or sink in. I think, I just think Animal Collective generally is like a band that has brought so much kind of joy to their music that like it doesn't really make sense for them to be angry, you know? Like it's just kind of a weird vibe for them. It's like when you go out drinking with that one friend, you know, that really positive friend everybody likes having around and never in a bad mood and then for some reason something happens and he snaps. You ever had that happen? And it makes you feel really uncomfortable because if anybody snaps, like whatever, they're angry. We all get angry. If that, if that, if that's never happened to me, does that mean that I'm the guy? Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. That's not good. Although that would mean I'd have to consistently, yeah, I'd have to be consistently bringing positive vibes, which is not exactly up my alley either. But anyway. I totally agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you mean. Like, I think it's a... There are lots of cool moments, and, like, I've been going back and listening to a lot of Animal Collective since this album came out, and, uh... I, I like it! Like, I, I, I... It's definitely a mess. It definitely, I think, didn't succeed at what they were trying to do, but... Um... You know, endearing well, mess really is the best way for it. Their goal, in a way, was to, like, um... Really, like, shock and lose some of that mainstream following that they had accrued because they're not really a comfortable mainstream band. They're hugely experimental. Even right when they're close to Pavilion, which was like their mainstream breakthrough, was still a weird record. It was just uh, sonically a bit more comfortable. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like also, the last decade had two Animal Collective albums, right? Yeah. Painting with the Inside of Me Hurts and the record. The decade before that has like more than, like, you know what I mean? Uh, you can really count. Yeah, they, they definitely like slow down. Solo projects and side projects and that also could be a reaction to that success, right? Uh, just, uh, the pressure. Um, kind of speaking of painting with, uh, let's just not even talk about it because it's better to just pretend that didn't even happen. Yeah, well, you know, the second they were talking about projecting dinosaurs on the walls in the studio and bringing, like, kids' pools and shit, you knew it was going to be bad. Because it was, like, trying to recapture a glory in yeah. a lot of ways, like, the kids that they weren't. And that brings me to what I like most of the time, Skips, and that is that it is an old man record. It's like dad rock. But it's big-time dad rock. It embraces the fact 
fact that they're not, you know, children on hallucinogens, you know. Yeah, their dad's on hallucinogens now. Yeah. sound forced. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, and it definitely is the most, like, comfortable and natural they've sounded in, like, probably a decade, at least. Which is wild, because apparently they did it over, like, Zoom. Yeah. Or, you know, not Zoom, but from their respective homes because of COVID. Maybe but they just, like... You can't really tell. Maybe they just, like, hate each other, and, and, and they needed to be apart to make a good record, you know? Uh, poor guys. Right? I mean, they've been together for so long, like, they... I, I'd hate them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they can all bow out of the recording process, and that, that's another thing, right, and interesting thing about this record is, they can all, they, they don't have to be on the record, right? Like, Deacon's True. not on painting with, Deacon's here, but apparently Panda Bear was working on Boys, um, and he wasn't there for a lot of the writing of this record, which is one of, probably it's negatives, is that I wish there was a little bit more Panda Bear, but times he's, uh, there's two times where he shows up specifically that are like the highlights of this, the respective songs that he's on. Yeah, but that Walker track kind of sucks, I gotta say. Which one? Walker, the Panda Bear, like, exclusive uh, track? I don't know. It grew on me. Okay. A single, it was the second single, and I really love Presto John. I think Presto John was, like, a, a really good step in the right direction. It's very, like, it takes time. Yeah. It's got these nice melodies. It's, like, just a beautiful track, and it's, like, probably, honestly, like, a top 10 animal collector song career spanning for me. So I was, like, really hyped for the album, and then Walker came and I was like, oh, this is a Panda Bear song. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Pretty paint by numbers, which is odd too, because it's a tribute to Scott Walker, who's not a paint by numbers guy, but anyway. Right? He's uh, more of like a numbers by paint guy, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> if you will, you don't have to, yeah, so, but if you will. So it dropped, and it was, it was a very lukewarm response for me. But in the context of the album, and honestly, a lot of these songs are growers. Um, yeah. Because it's. It's funny, the first time you listen to it, it's like, it sounds nice, but if you pay attention, like, it, it, it's not always, it doesn't really grab you unless you're, like, actively focusing on it. It's a very weird quality the album has. It's very laid back. It's really laid back, yeah, and, um, like, personally speaking, I mean, I would almost say laid back to a fault. Like, I've listened to the album a few times now, and, like, I, it's one of these records that, like, I really want to love. But, like, I, I find myself really struggling to kind of latch on to anything. Like, Prester John is amazing. Uh, the last song, you know, I, I love that track, too. But, I don't know, the rest of the record just kind of washes over me. And that might just be a personal thing. Um, like, I don't have those dad vibes yet. It's kind of what I'm describing, right? Like, if you're not actively focusing on it, it's a nice-sounding thing that kind of stays in the back and washes over you. It's pretty, it's an ambiance, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but if you actually do pay attention to it, there's a lot of components there that are pretty interesting, and the melodies are all very strong. And, you know, on a whole, as I listen to it more and more, I liked it more and more. Yeah. But, you know, I'm also tired all the time. I got a small job. <laughs> and so, exactly. music that really fits like that vibe, like, you know, half away, on my way to work kind of music, right? Precisely, yeah. And it's like I was saying, like, I don't, like, it's definitely like a dad vibes record and not being a dad yet like it's not quite connecting with me like that but yeah being in this kind of um half awake tired all the time state when you just need that kind of soothing laid-back music to just make you feel good like i imagine for you you know working all the time with your kid like it's like the perfect record for you that's it it's like i got really into slow core in the last year 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're really in the slow court. And, I mean, this is a far cry from a slow court record, but it, it, it's soothing in the same way. And it, it has emotional hits, so it's not like nothing. Right? Totally, totally. But I do agree that to a fault, perhaps laid back. And the thing about that is also, once again, you bring up, or I brought up, someone brought up COVID, and that they did it remotely. And that there's a whole other record apparently recorded where they were together. And those are the songs that you imagine probably have more immediacy because it required being in the same room. Yeah, for and sure. You have to wonder, like, a what if scenario. Well, they did the record in one go, and would that have broken up? the laid back quality and would that have made for a more complete experience hey we'll see I mean you know I, I'm excited to see what this other record supposedly that exists sounds like and I hope they release it soon I hope it's not like that modest mouse thing do you remember when they put out like that whatever record however many years ago and they were like oh yeah there's another record it's coming out next year and then it never came out yeah Oh, but the thing is, is yeah. like Isaac Brock's in charge of Modest Mouse, and I think True. he's a lunatic. I, I oh, he is for sure a lunatic, yeah. Mouse records, but I don't think he's a staple man. <laughs> and so when he promises something, you know, he's got to take, you know, remember where it's coming from. Whereas the guys in Animal Collective, you know, they, they seem like they're all in very stable places right now. They seem reliable, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I would loan them a 20. <laughs> Hey, you never know. I mean... It's true. He thinks he's being gang stalked, but allegedly someone did actually try to break into his house, so... Anyways, I'm not here to talk about Isaac Brock. <laughs> but, as I said, man's wrote some great songs, and he seems like a very pleasant person, but, you know, um, he's released two records in, like, a decade. It's true. It's true. And, yeah. So, Animal Collective's album is done. And apparently they finished recording it already. So it is coming. Awesome. And the songs exist, like, they, you know, they Gaslit by Animal Collective. I don't think so. I felt very gaslit by the chromatics. Oh, absolutely. Johnny Jewel is a, an emotional <laughs> abuser. Yeah, he seems like a really shitty dude. You know, I'm not going to get into what I think about him, but I'm a huge fan of their music. And a huge fan of, like, 2012 era Italians do it better. Um, very, very disappointing 
guy class few years for sure. Yeah, I mean, the man called himself Johnny Jewel. We should have seen it coming. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Right? <laughs> like, you know, maybe if he was a bit more modest. Like, Johnny Rock, you know? Like, Johnny Stone. But no, Jewel. Like, okay, bud. I guess it fits their whole, like, 80s, but not... Like, sparkly you know, vibe. Yeah, darker... Darker 80s vibe thing. Fair I enough. Anyway, that album never came. It's never gonna come. And but this one is going to come. <laughs> yeah, and I'm fairly certain it's gonna come. Anyway, so, so on a whole, I think it's uh, uh, a really solid record. It fits for me time and place-wise. Yes. Uh, comfortably snug for me in an A25, because I do agree that there could be some more teeth on it, like, uh, struggle around everything. Um, has, like, that second half that kind of explodes. And it would've been nice to see more of that on the record. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and and that, like, I mean, we talk about moments records, you and I, a lot. We do. Um, and there are like a couple moments on this record, but I, I'd like more like that part where it kind of bursts forth and it kind of sounds like AV's struggling to get the words out before his breath runs out. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I know what you mean. Really great. And, and Animal Collective's a band. And, yeah. And not, you know, this is a band like that's that. kind of known for their, their, their moments in their songs, too, so it'd be nice to have a few more of them. But anyway, I, I think uh, I think we've uh, you know had a great discussion here. I think we're both more or less on the same page. I think you are skewing a little bit more positive than I am. Um, but I think we both agree that it's definitely a very solid effort from them, a, a return to form, absolutely. And I'd say once again, I'm excited to see what Animal Collective has in store for us, whereas I can't necessarily say that was the case even just a few years ago, so the I record's a success that way. Definitely, definitely. You know I mean? so, so, An Animal Collective, you're back in our hearts again. Like, congratulations, that's, that's, you I'm did it. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much um, for coming on. You know, I'm sure, I know you and I, we could talk for literally hours. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I planned <laughs> to make notes this time. That's okay. Because when I, when I listened to the Youth Code podcast and reflected on it, I realized that I talk a lot, uh, kind of aimlessly, and I don't really shut the fuck up. Hey, that's part and of your charm. I was like, if I have notes, I won't do that. But then the interview obviously got delayed. And I'm outside, and I'm not with my nuts. But it's okay, because my wife says not shutting the fuck up is part of my charm. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I said, too! <laughs> and I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether I think it's a compliment or not, but I guess it's, you know, she's the closest person to me, so she says that it must be true. It must be. Uh, Plus, like, I mean, I don't make notes for this, so I would be pretty caught off guard if you came prepared with, like, speaking points, and I was just here, true. like, uh -huh. you know, once a month or whatever. That's and, true. Uh, that's true. Practice makes yeah. perfect. You can, Sam. And you're perfect. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much. Hopefully I didn't stand, you know, in your shadow too much on this. Absolutely people not. Think, people think, wow, he really held his own talking about animal content. <laughs> even, even if he didn't know a skiff was a boat. Hey, man, listen. A skiff is whatever you want it to be. I think that's the main theme of the record. Is that the theme of the record? I meant that went way over my head. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, okay, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, always a pleasure. 
Um, say hello to the little guy for me. I miss him, and I miss you guys very much, and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, uh, we're doing a birthday party for Lazo in June, so that's the latest. All right, I will be there hopefully before then, but definitely then. And now everyone in the world knows about uh, our plans to hang out, which is fantastic. That's it. Everyone in the world listening to this podcast. Everyone. Great stuff. Okay, okay, thanks a lot, man, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, cheers. Wonderful stuff. Um, Matt is definitely dad goals for sure. Um, I hope to be just like him someday. Thank you for that wonderful chat yet again, Matt. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking probably in the next half hour about something or another. So always happy to have you. So let's move on. Time for the mentions. And again, hopefully I'm able to find the mentions uh, little theme song clip because losing that to history would probably one of the be the biggest travesties one could imagine. So anyway, here are the mentions. These are the mentions. So as always, we're going to start off with the dishonorable mention this week. And this one is going to... Beach House with their latest record, Once, Twice, Melody. So Beach House have been indie darlings for a very long time. Um, geez, probably like 15 years now or something like that. People love them. And, like, I, I get it. I've never been one of those people. But I understand the people that love them. You know? They really tap into that, uh you know, sweet, kind of hazy dream pop thing that people really love or whatever. Um, it's never quite clicked with me, but their more recent records have actually started to uh, do so because I found them to be a little bit sharper and a little bit more kind of focused. And the result of that is they kind of cut through the haze and the songs stand out a little bit more. Like, um, I think it was their last record was Seven. Lemon Glow from Seven is probably one of my favorite songs of the past few years. Just fantastic song. And the reason why a song like that can stick out, and a lot of the songs on that record stick out, is because they kind of move a little bit away from that haze and add a little bit of darkness to their sound. And, um... It just creates this uh, almost more of a focus on the actual song craft, and it's, it's just more memorable songs. So when I heard they were coming out with this, it's like a double album. I was I was kind of hopeful, like, hey, maybe it'll keep up that, you know, really kind of cutting sound from Seven, and, and the songs will be memorable and cool, and you know, I can officially proclaim myself a Beach House fan. Um, yeah, no, uh, this is definitely a step back towards the just overt dreaminess of their records prior to Seven, which again, is like a lot of people's thing, so good for you guys if you're loving it, but for me, I put this thing on, however, like 15, 16 songs flew by and I didn't, I don't remember a single goddamn thing from the entire album. Uh, it's a shame, because I know these are great songwriters. I know they're capable of making music that, you know, 
you want to pay attention to. But I'm just not seeing it here. Uh, it, it, it's just not really present. And when you have an album this long with no real kind of memorable cuts, it just it's just a drag, you know? The whole thing just kind of bogs down and... I don't know. Just kind of bums you out. Like, listen, I'm all for ambient music and whatnot, and I'll be talking a little bit about that later on in this podcast. But nothing here really just sticks out. And this is supposed to be, like, one of the best indie bands out there. Like, they have a high standard that they've set for themselves with their previous albums. And I just don't really think this is living up to it. It's not working for me. I kind of get the impression it's not really working for other people. Um, But hey, you know, they're in the studio with Kanye for whatever reason. So, as much as I have come to despise that man, I am kind of curious to see what that results in. So, maybe that'll at least be a little bit more interesting than this snooze fest of a record so coming in at the dishonorable mention for the month is beach house with once twice melody the mention for the month so a record that just kind of wanted to chat about don't really have opinions on it one way or the other if you will but the record is Omni by Skin Tension. So why have I decided to include this record in today's podcast, specifically in the mentions category? Hmm. Oh, maybe because it's 27 fucking hours long. Okay. Um, I, has that ever even been done? Has anyone ever released a 27 hour long album? I don't know. I don't think so. But these guys went ahead and did it. So, what does that mean, exactly? So, when... Like, what is a 27-hour-long album? Really makes you start to think about, like... So, what is an album? Is an album meant to be something that you can listen to in one sitting? You know, like a collection of songs that you can digest in one go? Because, clearly, this is not that. Um... So, what is this thing, anyway? Other than just a gargantuan beast that will surely make you go completely insane if you actually attempt to listen to it from start to finish. I haven't. I'm not even going to pretend like I've tried to listen to this whole thing from start to finish. Because why would I? That's stupid. I got- I have a life. I have things to do, okay? I can't just be sitting around for freaking 27 hours listening to one album. I need to sit around for 27 albums- hours and listen to several albums. Um, that said, uh, the music here is kind of all over the place. And, uh, you know, there's some black metal-esque songs, jazz, noise freakouts, electronic stuff. So, if you're into, like, heavy, weird, whatever kind of music, you can probably just, like, get this record and just put it on shuffle for, like, the rest of your life. And you'll probably hear new songs and new sounds that you've never heard before. Which I think is a pretty cool thing to do, you know? So, I think there needs to be almost a new word for this collection of music. Because again, it's not an album. You're not sitting there from start to finish and listening to it. Which, in my opinion, is what an album is supposed to be. A full, you know, 
a full-bodied experience. Sorry, all my uh, espresso drinking really got me using all the buzzwords here. So this is just something else. This is like, this is like a like a pot of gold chocolates. You know, like pick a chocolate. You no one's expecting you to eat the whole box, um, in one go, uh, unless you're me. Uh, pick a chocolate and enjoy it, and then come back to it. You know, so it is what it is. Anyway, coming in at the mention, we have. Skin Tension with Omni. And for the honorable mention today, we are going with Blood Incantation Time Wave Zero. So, what do you do if you are one of the most acclaimed crossover death metal bands of the past decade? Um, well, the answer is obvious. You release a complete ambient record. Um, at least that's the case if you're Blood Incantation. So, yeah. I mean, they released Hidden History of the Human Race a few years ago, which was, like probably my favorite death metal album of the past five years really really interesting really unique um and what made it like that was their kind of interest in things that weren't necessarily death metal and that's what made the record really interesting um for example the single was an instrumental half ambient kind of psychedelic freakout of a song um there's like a 20 minute long song on there that has like weird bells and shit. Anyway, my point being, these are guys that have never quite stuck to the formula when it came to death metal, and that's what made them so great. So them deciding to just get rid of the guitars and the drums and all that kind of stuff entirely and focusing purely on the ambience of their music isn't actually all that surprising. And it also isn't unprecedented either. Uh, if you think back to a lot of those kind of 90s black metal bands like Burzum or whatever, great guys, you, like, every other record that they would release were ambient records, and a lot of their albums had ambient songs on them. So, it seems strange, but it's really not that strange for them to do. But does it work, is the question. And I'm gonna go with yeah, mostly. It mostly works. Uh, they've definitely been able to capture the heaviness of their sound um, without relying on traditional metal kind of tropes, you know? I, I have this nice little sound system here in my apartment, and the first song, question marks, first, the first segment of the first a ambient track uh, just has a low end that's so deep that like it rattles everything in the apartment. So and that's heavy, you know. It's not, you know, double kick, screaming, whatever heavy, but it's still heavy and it still carries that, um, that weight to it that all of their music did. So obviously this is a band really 
kind of interested in sci-fi and space and whatnot. And this is a, a record that kind of feels like you're floating through space, but not in those kind of kitschy, like, oh, look at that, look at the stars, that's so pretty, but more so in the, like, oh, shit, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fucked. Like, I'm just floating through space by myself and marveling at the emptiness and the cold and the dark and just kind of all the, the scary aspects of space. It's a pretty unsettling record, but also soothing. Uh, that might just be me being a complete freak who is soothed by the unsettling. <laughs> wow, who am I? Like a, like a Joker guy? Like, oh, I am soothed by the unsettling. Sorry, that's, that's pretty cringy, but it's true. And that's, uh, that's how I feel about this record. And they, they pull it off. I'm excited for the next record, which presumably will be, like, a return to the sci-fi death metal that they've absolutely perfected. Uh, but for now, I'm vibing with this. And, you know, all those metalheads out there, if they just open their minds a little bit, they can find the beauty and the heaviness. These are the mentions. So we'll just uh, get right back to it then, shall we? So, coming in at number two for the month, we have Young KO with DFTK. I don't know what DFTK stands for. I'd be very interested to know. Um, maybe it stands for don't Free the kids. I, I hope that's not what it stands for. Jeez, that's rough. Maybe it stands for a uh, um, donut filling. Totally cool with a K. Mm, probably not. Maybe. Anyway, Young Ko DFTK is the debut, I guess, album, I guess, by Young Ko who is a very, very young protege of Young Thug and Gunna currently. But I can say easily that uh, K.O. is making much, much more interesting music than those two these days. And that comes from a guy who is a professed Young Thug stan. I mean, I, I maybe not so much anymore, but Jeez, from like 2015 to 2018, in my opinion, he would, he could do no wrong. And he was probably, not probably, he was my favorite rapper for a long time. So it's nice to see Young Thug kind of recognizing, you know, maybe I'm not that cutting edge anymore, but I can use my influence and use my money, if you will, to help out other artists that kind of have that cutting edge spirit that my music used to. So I can see why he connected with Young K.O. because uh, he's definitely, you know, a protege in the sense of he sounds in some ways like Young Thug. Um, not so much the way that he sounds vocally, but more of the way that K.O. approaches uh, hip hop, you know, specifically more Atlanta-based trap and kind of skews it in his own experimental yet really poppy image. So this is a 
extremely energetic record to the point I'd say it's frenetic um, somewhat chaotic at times in, in, in a good way of course the the sounds and beats on this record are all kind of exploding with with color and and and, and neon vibrancy it's it's one of those stupid synesthesia things you know where if you could hear the sound in this record it would all be bright yellows and oranges and, and violets and stuff like that and if you look at the album cover it, it, it's a good indication of what the music actually sounds like in that it's it sounds alien yet familiar uh, again very similar to Young Thug so again the kind of ethos of the, of the music is very similar to those earlier Young Thug records, but K.O. himself sounds a little bit more like, uh, I'd say almost like a mix of Lil Uzi Vert and Trippy Red, but that's kind of a disservice to K.O. because I, I think he's a much more interesting artist than either of those two, and while he does kind of sound like them, he also is has a very, very singular sound um, across this entire record. To the point where, like, there are a few features on this record, but if you were to just listen to it through, you wouldn't even notice them because, like, the sound of this album is so kind of all-encompassing and just very much exclusive to this record that you wouldn't really think anyone else but Young K.O. is involved with it. So... The songs are, again, pretty chaotic at times, uh, very catchy at times. It's very much in that vein of current hip-hop music and just like kind of pop music in general now, where the songs are super short. You know, there's a song on here that's a minute and 15 seconds long. I think the longest song is about three minutes long. Uh, but it, it definitely is a record that you can tell the more effort that K.O. put into the song, the better the actual song is. So the long song, the longest song on here, um, No Sense, I think is what it's called. Definitely the best song on here. And it's, you, you can tell he actually kind of put thought into the song structure and the lyrics and the melodies. So this kind of just showcases the power that young K.O. has. Uh, Again, like, not to keep going back to this well, but it's very similar to Young Thug in that when Thug would make music, so much of what he would make, he would just kind of go into the studio, listen to the beat for the first time, freestyle on the beat, and that'd be it. That'd be the song. And he was so talented that it would work most of the time, but when he actually kind of you know, sat down and, and thought his songs out and, and started actually writing um, on, you know, records like Jeffrey and Beautiful Thugger Girls and stuff like that, it, it just transcends to a whole new level and can, you know, almost change pop music entirely the way that Young Thug did. And I see that a lot of Young K.O., you know, the more effort he puts in, the better it is. And he just wields a very, very strange yet enticing power with his songwriting that I think he'll only get more focused as he goes and his music's only going to get better and better. 
So I consider this just a nice tasty little treat of what's to come with young KO. Uh, I'm very excited to see what this young man has coming up next. Again, he's still, I think he's only like 18 or 19. So the future is very, very bright for him. And it's just nice to hear someone taking on this very overdone sound at this point. You know, the Atlanta kind of trap sound and, and just making it fresh and unique again. You know, I feel like this is what's happened with that particular genre is... Someone will come, do something innovative, and the genre thrives for like maybe a year or two, and then everyone just keeps doing the same stuff again, and it gets very stale, and then someone comes along and reinvigorates it with a, you know, a landmark release. And it just the cycle continues. So I would say, hopefully, you know, people are paying attention to KO, and this record becomes one of those reinvigorating records for the genre, because there's so much creative potential there, um, just not enough people, I guess, putting enough effort into having that potential become realized. So, coming in at number two, we have Young K.O. with DFTK. And the ridiculous made-up genre of the day is... Neon Trap Pop. Sure. Okay, sure, why not? Yeah, sure, let's go with it. Um, hardcore PH5 fans may notice that the uh, 30 seconds of chaos hasn't happened yet. Uh, yeah, it's probably just not going to happen this episode because there wasn't really all that much else that I was listening to that I could really make note of. Um, I'll give a shout out to the Buenuel record, uh, Killers Like Us. Guy from Oxbow is in it, a bunch of Italian dudes kick-ass uh, but other than that I don't really have anything to bring up so I mean maybe I just spent 30 seconds talking right there so there's your 30 seconds of madness you're welcome moving on last but not least number one for the month of February is Huerco S Plonk this is an interesting guy so Huerco S, a.k.a. Brian Leeds, British producer. Um, he's gone by a few different kind of aliases in the past few years. And he's definitely kind of carved himself out as maybe my favorite electronic producer. Despite not even really having that many records to his name. Just because of this particular niche that he's managed to kind of carve out for himself. So when 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 did that record come out? 2016 or 2017 was his last record. Um, for those of you who have and those of you who haven't, um, probably my favorite ambient record of all time. There was just something about it that really made it different than all the other ambient records that I had heard. Um, I like to describe Huerco S and Brian Leeds as he, a guy who makes ambient music that hates ambient music. Because all those kinds of things that you associate with ambient, um, you know, soothing, calm, background music, etc. He, he kind of 
dispels any of those with his music, and he he doesn't seem content to make music that fit into any of those categories. Um, even if he is creating in a genre where those are kind of the confines of the genre that the genre's found himself in. Uh, and what makes him so great and so cutting edge is he just absolutely refuses to um, go by any of those confines. And he, he does music, ambient music on his own terms. So that particular record, those of you who have, um, it was ambient for sure in that it was pretty and, you know, largely beatless. But he included a lot of really interesting textures in the record. And a lot of the songs, almost like, I describe it as like tickling your brain. You know, interesting little frequencies that he would include. Uh, and, and just the way that the songs kind of were structured and laid out and uh, unfolded as they go on. Just really interesting and, and not boring and not monotonous and, and enough to kind of keep your attention. It's like ambient music that you want to pay attention to, uh, which again is almost like an oxymoron, you know, like the point of ambient is to not be made attention to. Um, but that's not what he makes. That is very staunchly against what he's all about. And so he also makes music under the name of Pendant. And the first Pendant record, Make Me Know You Sweet, is probably my other favorite ambient record. It's, uh, it is deeply unsettling music. It's ambient in that, you know, there's no beats, there's no lyrics or anything, and it's mostly just like drones of sound, but he's managed to make just this really kind of eerie, creepy, alien sounds on this record that, uh, you know, made me put that record into my top five of the year. And then same with the previous Work OS record. He's just really cutting edge for ambient music in a genre that, you know, sorely needs people to be cutting edge in it in order to keep it interesting. Which brings us to Plonk. Again, like... <laughs> Plonk? What? So apparently... And this is just a testament to kind of how subversive uh, Brian Leeds is. So he kind of, with the press release for this record before it came out, he mentioned that it was like a concept album about cars. <laughs> Which is like such a funny thing to say, you know? Like, like, you listen to it and you're like, okay, I guess. Like, I guess I know where he was coming from. But in a way to me, like, that just seemed like... Like him just kind of saying it for the hell of it and, and, and kind of getting people to expect one thing when they listen to the album and, and not really, you don't really get that at all when you actually listen to it. It's, it's not at all what you kind of expect when you think of a concept album about cars. Um, that said, I, I, I see where he's coming from, you know, whether that's a troll or not, uh, a lot of the album has kind of these metallic sounds and, and the album title itself, Plonk, is an automatopoeia that occurs, I'd say, quite frequently across the record. Um, this is definitely a step away from ambient in that there are actual beats on this record. Um, there's actually a, like, 
seven minute long kind of ambient like improvised freestyle rap song on here as well so it's it's not ambient music but that's wrong because it still is ambient music because the beats aren't really uniform you're not gonna be listening to this in the club like there are beats in that there are percussive elements to the songs but it's not techno it's not house it's still it's still just very strange and just kind of like a different form of ambient that uses percussion if that makes any sense so there are so many different unique ideas and so many cool textures and different tones and sounds all across this record. Um, you can call it an experimental album. You can kind of call it whatever you want to, but it is a deeply engrossing listen, one that just sounds absolutely fantastic on your headphones or on your sound system, whatever works. And it's, it's, it just remains a showcase to why this guy is currently my favorite producer because it's extremely compelling you know it, it it seems to tell a story again without there being any sort of lyrical themes throughout the record itself and after kind of confounding you with all these different electronic experiments across the record it ends with this almost 10 minute long actual true ambient song and by that point the ambience is the subversion because you're so used to kind of the the almost clutter and, and, and chaos of the music that comes before it that when he actually goes back and makes presents us with this very straightforward ambient track it's it's almost as confounding as the first time you're listening to the other songs on there which are decidedly unambient so he remains an absolute master at keeping you guessing and this is just yet another record um, in his flawless discography that makes him one of the most truly compelling and interesting producers out there working today. So, coming in at number one, we have Huerco S with Plonk. Ridiculous made-up genre of the day. Propulsive ambient. Sure, why not? my podcast I can just say whatever the hell I want it's crazy gotta love it anyway that brings us to the end of yet another marathon session I hope you guys had as much fun as I did and if you didn't um sorry that sucks so good times had by all I hope you had a great month I hope you have a great month next time we chat it'll probably be warm outside our spirits will be lifted and um, hopefully we won't be neck deep in another world war. Until then, thank you as always for tuning in to PH5. This is Phil May signing off. Have a good one.